Hello, my subject today is how to find peace of mind. Everybody has had periods in his life when it seems as if the waves are just too high. We're hit by sudden upsets, emotions, uh, tragedies, uh, opposition from others, whatever it might be. It seems as if we can't handle them how do we find peace of mind in the hard times? Because it's easy enough in the easy times. Most people think that the way to find peace is to eliminate problem. To find that little cabin by the, uh, on the coast, overlooking the ocean, growing roses, having no greater problem than how to solve the excessive gnats in the springtime or something. In fact, peace of mind doesn't come by elimination. It comes by changing our ability from within. I use the illustration of a wave. You'll notice that a boat that's small will bob with every little ripple almost, whereas a great ocean liner, even uh, if the waves are high, the ocean liner is able to sort of go with them because where there's a wave coming up here, there's another wave going down there or another wave coming up here and it all sort of balances out so that by and large the ocean liner is not nearly so uh, affected and this in translated into human terms means that the more we can broaden our identities the more likely we are to sail peacefully through all of life's problems this is one aspect of it then. Broaden your identity. For example, most people are identified with the moment. You look at little children and you see how, how the tiniest little thing can loom like a great tragedy to them. We, once we're grown up, we can look at them and we can sort of smile because we see that after all, they may have uh, perhaps broken a pencil or bumped their knee or something, but Two minutes later, it'll be okay, and we know that it will be okay. The child experiences that change from tragedy to uh, relief, and suddenly he's laughing and smiling, um, and his life goes just like that ripple up and down, up and down, where we, looking at that experience of childhood, know that life has such ripples, and so we don't become that identified with the little things, it's the bigger things that still manage to hit most people. And the first thing we need to do is remember why the little experiences don't affect us in the same way any longer. It's because we can look ahead from one minute to the next. We can look ahead from one hour to the next. We need to learn to look ahead not only from one hour to the next, from one day to the next, from one year to the next, we have to keep in mind that life, no matter in how long uh, its, uh, its rhythms may be, life is constantly changing. Heraclitus said, all is flux. And this is the experience of human life. Everything is always changing. And never can you say, this is, this is the delusion that we find, for example, in in uh, going to the movies and we see that after all sorts of difficulties the girl and boy get together and they're married and the presumption is that they live 
happily forever after. The way that they're able to convey that message is by cutting the film right there, hastily before they get home from the church. Um, uh, the, the fact of life is that we are always going to have failures after success, successes after failure, sorrow after joy, joy after sorrow. Sorrow is an interval between two joys. Joy is an interval between two sorrows. This is the nature of life, and never can you say that finally you've got it all together. This is the delusion under which mankind lives. There's a deeper reality, however, that we need to deal with here, and that is that the very nature of this universe, the very way that the universe was created, was to bring into an opposition, bring into manifestation a state of oneness that was not manifested. As it says in the book of Genesis, darkness was on the face of the deep. There was nothing. Everything was void. Everything was still. There was the state of infinite bliss, yes, the state of Brahman, not asleep, but awake in that eternal sleep, awake in that eternal joy, like the ocean without any waves. And then that spirit chose to manifest itself. Now, how could it manifest itself? How could it express this universe? It couldn't do the way a carpenter would do, go out and buy the wood for a cabinet. It didn't have wood to create a cabinet. It didn't have atoms from which to create the universe. There wasn't anything. So how did God create this universe? He brought it, as physicists now are beginning to say, that this whole universe has to be a manifestation of not only energy, which has been proved, but beneath that energy of consciousness. God, in fact, and this is what wise men down through the ages have said, dreamed this universe. Everything exists in his consciousness as a manifestation of that consciousness. Now, how could he bring that one into manifestation? He had to create two. He had to create duality. A very good illustration of this truth is, again, the ocean. Because the level of the ocean remains the same, no matter how high the waves are. For every wave, no matter how high, there will be a corresponding trough. For every up in life, there's a down. For every positive, there's a negative. For every plus, there's a minus. For every joy, there's a sorrow. For every expression of fulfillment, there's an expression of disappointment. For every success, a failure. Everything has its opposite. This is the basis on which the universe could be created. The law of Dvaita, as it's called, in Sanskrit, or duality. We live in a world of duality. Positive, negative, heat, heat and cold, light and darkness, male and female, joy and sorrow. Uh, everything is, is uh, polarized and at the same time constantly moves from one pole to the other. Thus we have the waves. Now then, in this world, what we are always trying to do is somehow get that wave of joy, success, fulfillment, love, whatever it is. We want to keep it at its crest. 
We don't want it to change. And yet, of course, it will change, has to change. It's the nature of this universe to impose change upon us. We attract change. We are change. We couldn't live if we weren't constantly, even ourselves, in a state of inward change, inward flux, so that no matter how the world is treating us outside, somehow we don't feel the same inwardly. It reminds me of a man who went to a restaurant and they served him the dish that he ordered, and he tasted it and he said, this is terrible. And they said, well, sir, it's the way we always make it. He said, call the chef. He wanted to talk to the chef. The chef uh, uh, said, well, it's just our regular menu. He said, I'm a friend of the manager. I'm a friend of the owner. I'm a friend of uh, all these important people, and I demand that this thing be done again. And finally, they thought, well, we don't want to lose our job. So they took the plate back, and they cooked it again, and they gave it to him with great smiles. And he said, take it away. I'd rather be mad. Well, you see, some people uh, go through such things inwardly that no matter how good things are outside, no matter how loving people are to, uh, to others, um, to them, they still get angry. And other people are so happy inside that no matter how badly they're treated, they still can find something to be happy about, to remain happy about. So it is that we need to understand a twofold truth here. The first is that change is inevitable. The second is that we can do something about it if we change ourselves. I'll rem I remember a very interesting experience I had it was in Australia. I was on the Great Barrier Reef on a little island called Green Island. I had a week of seminars to give in, in a little village above Cairns called Curanda. And I had went out to Green Island just on a, on a day's outing, but it was so beautiful that I decided to stay the night. The next night I had to go back because these lectures were to begin. Unfortunately, the next day was very bad weather and the trip was 16 miles. Now, for many of you, this might not be a problem, but for me it was a great problem because I've always been quite susceptible to seasickness. And I had to go. I couldn't cancel. I couldn't say, well, I'll go tomorrow. So, in my desperation, thinking, what can I do about it, I remembered that when I was on a ship that was moving, and I, I remember even going to the San Francisco docks to see somebody off in a ship. The ship was stationary, not moving at all. The mere fact of being on a ship, the mere smell of the ship, reminded me of all those trips I had to take as a boy from Europe to America, back to Europe. I crossed the Atlantic nine times as a child over the years. And uh, remembering all of that, I began to feel queasy just being on that perfectly stationary ship. Then I remembered that Every time the ship would go down against the horizon, even if it was a fairly calm sea, I would be mentally pushing that ship up toward the horizon. Every time it went above the horizon, I'd be mentally pulling it down. And uh, I realized that I was fighting the movement of the ship. Well, today the ship was doing a great deal more than just sort of quietly and gently moving up and down against the horizon. It was going bucking like a bronco, forward, corkscrew, sideways. And I just told myself, I'm going to like it. I'm going to go with it. 
I'm not going to be affected because I'm just going to say this is the way it ought to be. So every time the ship did one of these corkscrew things, I said, good, good. And every time it plunged downwards, instead of leaving my stomach up there on the ceiling, I'd carry it down with me joyfully. And after I reached uh, Cairns, I, I admit my willpower was a bit shaky, but I felt otherwise just fine. You see, if we can inwardly, <clears throat> first of all, recognize that life is like that, and so we can enjoy its ups and downs. Secondly, if we can get rid of this delusion that we'll ever really get it together in an outward way, because the nature of life is that Everything finally <clears throat> has to reach that same equal plane that is the only eternal enduring reality. The waves go up, the waves go down, we have peaks, we have troughs, but the level of the ocean doesn't, doesn't change at all. And so the truth doesn't change at all. And in fact, all our successes and failures, all our ups and downs, all our hopes and disappointments, all those moments when we think, at last I've got it, crashing into the, the uh, disaster of uh, suddenly finding everything fell apart. All of these, we keep thinking, this is our human delusion, that finally we're going to get it to the point where we can get a wave to stay put, we'll be up there on the crest, and we'll ride that crest all the way to the shore of eternity. Well, if we can get rid of that thought, because, in fact, the sum of all human striving, for no matter how long it might be, the sum of your successes and failures, your joys and disappointments, etc., has to be zero. It's absolutely weighted against you if you want anything else, because that's what it's got to be. That's all it really is. The sum of all your striving has to reach zero. In other words, we have to say, if we want to be a little brutal about it, that everything that we're doing is basically for nothing. I don't want to be too extreme in this because we grow in the process. We we're grateful for the joys that we have, why not? But most of all, we grow in wisdom, we grow in power, we grow in understanding. So I don't mean to sort of pull up the bedspread, put your head under the sheets, and then just sort of call it all off. I mean to fight, but in the right way. Fight the battle of life, but with wisdom. And that means to be able to be firm in yourself so that you don't fight the inevitable. You go with it joyfully because you understand that your joy is something that you have inside. You can be happy no matter what comes to you. You can be happy no matter where you are. You can be happy even in the midst of failure. I had an interesting experience that way. Years ago, I was uh, teaching the Peace Corps, and uh, uh, it was a disappointment for me because I found that the boys were, although they were going to India, and I was called in as an expert on Indian culture, and the boys were going in uh, to India uh, to help that country and therefore to respect, to understand and appreciate the culture would have been naturally good for them. But the truth is they couldn't have cared less where they were going 
Um, they were far more interested in going down on Saturday night and getting drunk and uh, having a great time. And they just didn't want what I had to teach them, although with all my heart I wanted to share what I knew. And I felt that I had, uh, I had to accept that I had failed. And it was a hard thing for me because I've always been a fighter. I've always been one who, if it didn't work one way, I'd find another way to make it work. But here I finally had to accept that I couldn't make them want something they didn't want. And so I had to accept that that was failure. You know, it was what was interesting in this experience for me was that in accepting failure and uh, letting it go, therefore, I suddenly found that even that is a kind of victory. That I felt completely at peace. All right, so I failed, so never mind. There being nothing else I could do about it, I might as well just um, be calm about having failed. And you know, the next thing that happened was that having reached that attitude, suddenly one boy after another would come to me and say, you know, I really want what you've been talking about. And although out of the hundred and something boys in the class, most of them didn't want it, there were some 25 or 30 that would come to my room after hours and I would talk to them. And I found that it was much more rewarding talking to these few who were interested than it could have possibly been talking to all those who were not. And so I found that even failure, if you accept it and go with it, can be a victory in two ways. One is that you feel calm and happy inside and are not touched by it. The second is that in the very process of accepting it, suddenly, if anything good can come of it, that good begins to come. Because our tests, our difficulties in life, really don't come to break us. They come to teach us. And whatever good there is in them, and very often the best that we can get, comes through the hardships that we endure. Not only through the strength that we develop, but just it's the sort of law of life. I sometimes think God has a pretty twisted sense of humor because it looks as if he's giving us the worst thing possible when we're trying to, if we're trying to serve him, and this is what I try to do with my life. And yet if we accept it willingly, joyfully, calmly, suddenly we find that the best thing that could possibly come has been made possible by that acceptance. That had we gone any other way, it wouldn't have worked. But this way, it worked. So to find peace of mind, one of the important things, and mind you, there are a lot of things to think about. In fact, I have a little book called Secrets of Inner Peace. I think you'd like, like to read it because it gives for every day a short saying that you can live by for a whole month. But uh, although there are many things that I could say, this is one of the most important. To learn that this is what life is. Most of our unhappiness in life comes from wishing that it were something else. We uh, define an experience as painful, and therefore we experience pain. If we could accept an experience as simply an experience and not define it, we'd find that it isn't painful. I've done this even in the dentist's chair. I don't take Novocaine, and uh, sometimes the dentist gets pretty close. And I just have realized that if I can divorce, I do divorce my mind from defining the sensation as painful. I just say, well, it's a sensation. And then I lie back there and compose music or think about a book I want to write. And I don't even think about the pain because it's merely a sensation, just like the weather, like uh, birds singing in the trees. It just doesn't 
touch my mind anymore. You'll find that there's an amazing amount that you can do to overcome pain, suffering, hardship, if you would not define it as something that shouldn't be. And that which will help you to define it as that is if you recognize that this is how things are. And if this is how they are, then this is how they should be. Our suffering comes from resisting reality. Our peace of mind comes from embracing it. And only when we embrace it can we then finally change it for whatever better may be in store for us.